Richard Alpern, the T1 of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is a prospect analyst for Fangraphs, author of the uh, organizational top 15 lists and the top 100 list that comes out before the beginning of every season, Mark Hewlett. While, of course, the regular season has just ended and many fans turn their attention towards the playoffs, another league is just about to begin. In fact, October 9th represents the opening day for this year's edition of the Arizona Fall League. If you're not familiar with the Arizona Fall League, it is a league of six teams in the Phoenix area to which Major League Baseball's 30 organizations frequently send their best prospects. And in what follows, Hewlett and I look at the Arizona Fall League. We begin, in fact, by reviewing last year's edition of it and by examining the 2012 seasons of the Arizona Fall League's top players from 2011. Names invoked in that conversation are now Astros outfielder Robbie Grossman, Oakland A's center field prospect Michael Choice, and former Rangers left-hander and now Brewers arm Miguel De Los Santos, all of whom had excellent AFLs last year. After that, we look ahead to this year's version of the Arizona Fall League, consider three other names, discuss those players not just in and of themselves, but also in the greater context of prospect analysis. Those players specifically are Oakland sort of third, but probably more like first baseman Miles Head, Boston Red Sox outfield prospect, corner outfield prospect Bryce Brents, and Toronto Blue Jays center field prospect, the very athletic and toolsy Jake Marisnik. This is Fangraphs Audio. It does, in fact, feature prospect analyst Mark Hewlett discussing the Arizona Fall League, and it begins right now. Because I just went to the uh, Arizona Fall League website, and I guess from when we're talking, as of now, it actually begins in less than four days. Correct, the ninth. Yeah, the ninth. So that's exciting. It is. Are you a playoff I guy? I mean, do, are you excited by the playoffs? I am. I am. But uh, right now is kind of when the whole top 15 prospect list thing gets really going, so... Uh, my evenings tend to be kind of devoted to that, so I don't get to follow the playoffs quite as closely as maybe I used to. You, now you say get to, you you would like to. Yes. Okay. But um, the Arizona Fall League, though, is sort of like it, it's like a weird, long, extended Christmas of prospect joy. It's true. I just wish uh, I just wish you could uh, Major League Baseball would put some of the games on the internet. Yeah, what's the situation with that now? Uh, there aren't any games on the internet. Okay, so there you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do have the. Uh, don't they have sort of like an all-star game halfway through? Um, but maybe it's covered. I don't know if it's covered on. May not be covered on MLB.tv, but maybe it's on MLB Network or something like that. Hmm. Um, it could be. I, I don't recall actually. Yeah. Now, in terms of pure, uh, um, in terms of your. Uh, the joy one might derive from it, or the ability to see prospects. How does any you know any given future? Uh, um, how does any given AFL game, Arizona Fall League game, compare to like the futures game? I think that they're they're better than the futures game because with the Arizona Fall League or or Instructs, you get to see a wider variety of prospects. 
whereas with the futures game, you kind of get to see just either the best players or the players that baseball think fits onto the roster the best. And in weird roles, too, I guess, right? I mean, you see a lot of starters pitching in relief, for example. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you don't get a sense of – I mean, I, it seems like – I mean, I think I've watched the last three, and it seems like every guy is just airing it out and throwing – I mean, coming close to triple digits. Yeah, and for one inning. And right. you don't really get any read whatsoever on the on the pitchers, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the league starts – uh, as we know, it starts on October 9th, and I, I think uh, there was at one point, maybe like three weeks ago now, uh, there was sort of an announcement about the rosters, but it also seemed as though uh, those rosters were not complete, and that's the case? Yeah, I think they're all complete now, um, but teams get an opportunity um, to hold back some of their decisions to see um, you know, if so- certain players are going to end up getting some playing time in the majors in September, which might uh, make it less likely they need that fall work. Plus, there's uh, players coming back from injury, a lot of a lot of whom end up in the Arizona Fall League, uh, but they need to make sure that they're they're healthy enough to play there first. Right. So is that so? Yeah. So what sort of players are we seeing? And I know that it's generally an offensively oriented league. And is that just because you're more likely to see the top batters and the top pitchers? Well, it comes down to the fact that teams just don't want their their top pitchers getting too many innings. Um, so they they would prefer to have those innings come in games where I guess the competition's a little bit. Um, I don't know if I want to say better because the, some of the rosters are kind of stacked, but I think they'd rather have the the pitchers get their innings when they can control them, whereas in a, a lot of the situations, the coaches on the AFL teams aren't from their organization, so they don't necessarily adhere to their wants and desires when it, when it comes to how many innings they get, when to pull them, and that sort of thing. Whereas with hitters, it's not quite as, as big of an issue. The guys just go up there, they get their four-eyed bats, and they're done. But with pitchers, they're a little more fragile. There's a lot more that goes into... Um, how they're handled. Now, in terms of um, performance, uh, and, and I, and I want to look at, you know, for example, some of the, the best players from the, the 2011 version of the AFL, uh, just to, to kind of catch up with them and see where they are. Uh, but I'm curious, uh, I'm curious about what your opinions are on uh, performance in the AFL um and especially because, you know, like you take a player like Mike Trout, who by every measure had one of the worst AFLs uh, last season and then had literally the best season. Um, I mean, had basically the best season, uh, you know, since in the 20th century or 21st century so far. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing it's certainly not an absolute uh, measure, but you might also be looking at certain things. Yeah, I I think with the with the AFL when it comes to statistics, you're looking less at the the counting stats and more at sort of maybe some of the rate stats like contact rates. You know, how much are they um, how much are they walking? How much are they striking out? Uh, I know a lot of teams now are tracking how hard players are hitting the ball, um, so line drives are keeping a a really uh, good eye on. 
so they definitely be watching that for the for the hitters and then for the pitchers you just want to again you're probably not as concerned with the statistics with them as you are with how their stuff looks um you know how how hard their fastball is how much break their breaking balls are getting um and and that sort of thing so it with the hitters it's probably a lot of rate stats with pitchers it's how how good does their stuff look especially after um, either an, an injury layoff or a longer season you want to see how well uh, how durable they are and how well they're they're just bouncing back after games so during the the course of this past off season uh, periodically maybe once a week i would post um what i refer to as a scout leaderboard um yep. right which is a sort of version of I mean, for hitters, it's a version of WRC plus, and for pitchers, a, a version of FIP, you know, FIP minus, whatever, uh, that you know looks at slightly more granular, granular stuff. It essentially looks at the FIP, uh, the FIP-based uh, metrics, and then constructs a batting line from those. So it's not perfect, and it's certainly it's going to punish batters who actually have something like batted ball skill, you know, like a like a Matt Kemp or a Josh Hamilton or Alex Gordon, who are going to post a, a BABIP, you know, in the in a, in a vicinity of 340 or something. And, um, you know, on the other hand, it, it will uh, benefit players or, or make certain players um, who are going to average below a 300 or 290 BABIP. Uh, it's going to make them look better than they are. Um, but during the course of the the, um, the AFL, I'll do that uh, just to get a sense of, of what guys are doing. And I, I wanted to look at just a couple of guys from, from both the hitting and pitching list last year and just kind of, I guess, to follow up on them and to see what um, – what what they did in 2012 and what what their sort of prospect status is. Okay. Um, certainly, one uh, one guy who hit very well. I think um, it, it might have been slightly unexpected at the time, um, and and then he actually uh, injured himself. I think he had some sort of wrist injury, maybe a hamate situation uh, that ended his AFL run. Uh, was a Pittsburgh Pirates outfielder Robbie Grossman. Um, who was uh, only 21, and uh, you know, which is uh, not a bad age to be playing well at in the AFL. Uh, I'm curious. I, I think at some point he went to Houston, um, but I'm curious as uh, how did his season work out? Yeah, so Grossman is a guy that last year when I did uh, my top 15 prospect ranking for the Pirates, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure I ranked him a little bit higher than Starling Marte. Um, and I know that a lot of a lot of people are really high in Starling Marte, and I I won't get into uh, too much about him since uh, we're kind of focusing on Ro- Robbie Grossman. But basically, I'm I like Grossman is what it comes down to, and uh, I'm still not 100% convinced what kind of player he's going to be. He had a he had a really nice um, 2011 regular season in the Florida State League. Um, and then, like you mentioned, went to the Arizona Fall League and and hit well again. And But he's probably that type of player who's going to thrive in that type of environment. He's kind of an offensive-minded player. Um, he was coming off a really good season, so he had some confidence going in. He's got uh, some pop. He's got a really good eye uh, at the plate, a uh, very patient approach. So he's the type of guy who, you know, when he's facing some of those um, lesser um, t- 
talented, I guess, pitchers that uh, sort of fill the bottom rosters in the AFL, um, a lot of middle relievers and stuff. You know, he's going to beat up on those types of guys, so he's going to maybe look a little bit better than he is. He uh, had a bit of a disappointing 2012 regular season, uh, moving up to AA, which is arguably the, the biggest jump from high A to AA. Uh, and he struggled a little bit. Uh, he still produced okay numbers, um, but uh, definitely there there were some signs that there were things he needed to work on. Um, and, it, you know, you don't really see that when he's playing in the Arizona Fall League. Um, sort of as many uh, weaknesses don't really stand out. So yeah, he's a good example of, of a type of player that does well in the Arizona Fall League um, and, uh, you know, maybe makes him look a little bit better than he really is heading into heading into a season. And then when he has a bit of a down year, uh, it maybe looks even worse uh, after you look at what he did the year before. Um, yeah, so is, is he a player? Because he's with Houston now. Uh, and, and just in terms of opportunity, I mean, here we have two distinct things, right? We have a question of... Um, of you know the player's skill, the player's profile, and then opportunity within the organization. And it seemed like uh, if you're on if you're in the Astros organization, opportunity is on your side. Yeah, definitely. He he moved to a, you know a good or, organization to get an opportunity to play. Um, Pittsburgh didn't seem to be overly big on him. Um, you know, again, they were they had their sights kind of their next big outfielder is going to be Starling Marte, and he had a so-so uh, major league performance, um, and and Grossman hasn't uh, you know made it into the majors yet. He he spent all year in in Double A both with Pittsburgh and and Houston and had kind of similar results between the two organizations. He may even end up back in Double A for a little bit next year, uh, or he could uh, get challenged with a shot at Triple A. But um, yeah, I, I think he he's going to need a little bit more time. Um, the Astros added a ton of talent this year into their organization, so there's really no no need to rush him. He's still pretty young. Um, he's going to be uh, 23 throughout the season next year. Um, but uh, but yeah, he he's got a lot of time to develop. Um, but he will definitely get his opportunity if he continues to to show improvement. Uh, another player who uh, had a pretty excellent AFL and plays a, a position of some consequence. I think I think he's a center fielder, although I don't know much about his overall uh, sort of uh, defensive profile, is Michael Choice, who was another 21-year-old last year and showed uh, considerable uh, power uh, as well. Uh, I think he was re- I think he was uh, maybe second to uh, Mike Olt in terms of uh, adjusted home run percentage or something like that, regressed home run percentage. I'm curious, uh, what's uh, what did Michael Choice's 2012 look like? And what's his prospect status at the moment? Yeah, I had him ranked pretty high uh, coming into 2012. He hit 30 home runs in uh, A ball in 2011, and then had a you know a solid Arizona Fall League. Um, and he was playing in the California League last year, so that always inflates uh, power numbers. Uh, but he also had some really good raw power, according to scouts. So he was a guy that I, I still ranked uh, a little higher. Um, without really dinging him too much for um, the boost that the California League uh, would have given him. And then he came out and, and did not very well at all in AA. And uh, 
I haven't had a chance to really dig too much into things to know if, you know, there was some sort of injury going on that kind of sapped his power or if he just had trouble adjusting to double A, but he ended up going from 30 home runs down to 10, um, although he, he did miss some time uh, and only played 91 games. It was definitely a disappointing year for him. Yeah, and uh, I, I was reading before we got on that, um, in fact, it's, it seems like his uh, he was shut down for the year towards the end of July. Um, another hand, another hand situation, which I don't know if that's what affected Grossman necessarily, but we know that that's the sort of thing um, that can affect the guys hitting for a while. Uh, do, do you have a sense of his defensive profile? I mean, because a guy with a lot of power who can stick at center field uh, seems to me a, a, quite a bit different than a guy. Um, with with power, who is going to be forced to a corner, and you know you, the sort of the hit you uh, a player will receive from the the defensive adjustments considerable there. Yeah, again, I haven't had a chance to really talk to anyone about his defense this year, um, but he's never really been known as a strong defender. So I would imagine um, that he's probably going to end up in right field, maybe left field. Um, so he really needs to uh, rediscover some of that power that uh, he lost in 2012. Okay, and then uh, one, uh, just the third player I want to discuss to catch up on him. Uh, I think I know where he ended up, um, but I'm curious as to why he's never been in very much favor is a left-handed pitcher formerly of the Texas Rangers, Miguel De Los Santos. Uh, I, um, he easily led... Um, uh, the the league, the AFL last year in strikeouts. I think he struck out um, just about a third of the 120 or so batters he faced. And then I saw, um, you know, I didn't follow him very closely. And I just saw at the end of the year that it, that the Brewers had picked him up on waivers. Um, and I guess it's it's curious to me that a youngish, he was 22 last year, a youngish pitcher with very high strikeout rates um, would be available in that capacity. So what happened there? I think with him, it comes down to the fact that the Rangers became convinced that he wasn't going to be able to stick in the starting rotation. So that limits his value a little bit uh, when you stick him into the bullpen. And then you look at the fact that he's he's never really been able to command the ball. Um, so you've got a, a hard-throwing relief pitcher who's going to walk a ton of guys. And he's also um, got to be protected in the... Uh, from the Rule 5 draft if you don't have a month 40-man roster. And he's the type of guy that maybe another team is going to covet uh, because they, they might think they might be able to make some tweaks uh, and sort of unlock um, some skill from a hard-throwing left-handed pitcher. But the Rangers just probably did an analysis of you know their, their minor league depth and their 40-man roster, realized that they you know didn't really have room for him there and that there might be a chance they'd lose them, so why not cut them now? And, yeah, is it – I mean, it seems like the Rangers have a particularly deep system. Um, is, is he a player that you can imagine having been retained by a, a team with less depth? Well, I, I think for sure uh, there, there are definitely other teams, uh, much weaker teams, that would have held on to him. You know, someone like uh, the Brewers are a good example. They don't have a ton of depth. Uh, the White Sox don't have a ton of depth. Those are the types of teams I could see holding on to a project like De Los Santos, whereas the Rangers probably have you know three or four other guys they'd rather protect above him. Okay, uh, and then I'd also like to look uh, to look forward a little bit to um, to some notable guys. I know I think that one person, one player, 
I don't know if you're necessarily excited about him, um, but I've seen you uh, I've seen you note him a couple times. Is Miles Head? I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Miles Head is currently in the uh, A's organization. I think that he was part of the trade that sent Andrew Bailey uh, to the Red Sox this past winter. Um, so Miles Head is playing somewhere. Um, he doesn't necessarily seem like a terrific athlete. I don't know. I think he's played some third, some first. Um, but he keeps hitting, I think. Yeah, he's one of those guys who, who just hits. Um, he's not a very good athlete. He's not a very good defender. The, if I'm not mistaken, the Red Sox had pretty much given up on him as a third baseman, um, and we're looking at him as more of a first baseman. But when he came over to the A's, they moved him back to third base, and I don't know that they've made a, a decision um, within the organization of if he can stick there or not. But they're certainly giving him more of an opportunity to do that. Um, I did have him on the uh, the Red Sox top 15 prospect list. Um, sort of as a guy who came in at number 15 right at the end, um, as someone that I thought could maybe have a bit of a breakout year in 2012. And he really did. I mean, in 2011, he he hit 338 in, in low A ball and showed a little bit of promise. Um, and then he came out in 2012 and continued to hit for a high average in A ball and showed some really good power, moved up to double A and... Um, you know, his game got picked apart a little bit. So he's got to make some more adjustments in, in 2013. But if he can stick at third base, even on a part-time basis and sort of split time between third base and first base or designated hitter, um, I think he could definitely be a valuable player down the road and a, a good pickup by the A's. Yeah, is that a sort of player that, that maybe makes more sense in, a, in the A's organization than it does the Red Sox? Um, yeah, I, I think he's definitely a better fit in, in the A's organization. They're more um, performance. Uh, they prefer performance uh, maybe over the athleticism and, and the raw skills that maybe some of the other organizations do. And the Red Sox had um, Will Middlebrooks uh, ahead of him. Um, so he didn't have a real clear, clear opening to the big leagues, whereas Oakland doesn't have... Um, really the the roadblocks that Boston would have. So it was definitely a good move for him um, just for opportunity and, and into an organization that's going to value his particular skills a little bit more than Boston did. Right. And now I'm curious. Uh, uh, Miles Head is 21 this season. Uh, we talked about Robbie Grossman being 21 last year and also uh, Michael Choice. Uh, what is the sort of... What what do you look at in terms of ages um, for the Arizona Fall League? You know, I mean, we know that there are certain ages. Uh, you know, if, if if a player is 25 in Double A, like like a Darren Ruff, Philadelphia outfielder Darren Ruff was this year, that's not great. You know, you, you look at his numbers and say, well, if he's putting up good numbers, he ought to be because he's 25. He's a man at this point. Um, whereas if a player, you know, I think Wilmer Flores was only 20 or 21 at Double A and hitting this year. And you think, well, he's ahead of the curve uh, in terms of his age relative to level. Um, and his performance, therefore, you uh, weigh more heavily. I'm curious, what is the sort of range of ages uh, that you're looking at in uh, in the Arizona Fall League? So the, the Arizona Fall League has a pretty wide range of, of ages. Um, 
players typically go there if they're ready or in double A. Uh, that's typically the level that you'd want a player um, to go. So anything younger than that, they'd probably end up just playing it at the instruct- fall instructional leagues um, and getting their, their fall work in there. Um, and typically with double A players, I think the average age in double A is right around 24 years old. So you're looking for the better players to be you know, around 21, 22. And those are the types of ages you're typically typically going to see amongst the better players in the Arizona Fall League. And then you're going to get your um, sort of injured players or middle relievers who are filling those rosters uh, on the pitching side. You'll get guys who are 24, 25, 26. So there's a, a really wide range. But those exciting players, those top prospects um, that you want to follow in the Arizona Fall League are typically, typically going to be in their early 20s. Can you remember off the top of your head any players that whose Arizona Fall Leagues uh, really brought them to your attention? I mean, I'm, uh, it may happen all the time, may never happen. I don't know. Um, and I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but I'm curious. You're like, oh, I know this. I mean, I know this guy existed, or maybe you didn't. But you know, I see. Oh, I know this guy existed, but this is totally different than than what we've seen from him before. To be honest, not really. I I usually have a pretty good idea of, of who the players are and what they're capable of when they're being chosen for the Arizona Fall League. Um, but there have been some players that have caught my attention that I maybe knew but not too much about, and usually pitchers that would catch my attention when I'm kind of looking and researching at players that might be eligible for the Rule 5 draft um, at the winter meetings. And I think that's what a lot of teams do as well. Um, is that there's a number of players that go to the Arizona Fall League that are kind of on the fringe of being added to the 40-man roster in November, and this is kind of the you know their club's last chance to get a look at them and make a decision on if they want to hold on to them, while also giving other organizations an opportunity to further scout them and, again, make another decision about whether there's somebody that they might want to add to their organization. Okay, all right. Uh, another player you've noted uh, is, let's see, Bryce Bryce Brents. Bryce Brents. That's a person? <laughs> Am I saying that Bryce name? Brents, yes. Bryce Brents. Uh, Bryce Brents is a, another player uh, who, like uh, Miles, had started in the Boston organization. and uh, But, of course, unlike, uh, unlike uh, Miles said, he's still in the uh, the Red Sox organization. Um, what is, uh, now Brent's, uh, hit a bunch of home runs in 2011, uh, hit fewer in roughly the same number of plate appearances in, in 2012, but that was at double A. Double A is a 23 year old. That's, uh, roughly closer to average, more than you'd like to see, um, from, um, you know, from a top prospect, higher, higher than you'd like to see from a top prospect. What's your, uh, what's your interest in, in Bryce Brent's? Bryce Prince is one of those players that's kind of on the cusp for me on where he's going to fit into the top 15 prospect list for the Red Sox. There's some people who really love him and think he's going to be, you know, a, a regular big league outfielder. Um, and then there's others who see him more as a fourth outfielder or a, a quad A slugger. Um, he's a guy I, I talked to a scout not long ago um, while researching the top 15 list and 
the scout made a good point in that Brent was a, a two-way player um, as an amateur, so um, he split his time between pitching and hitting. So although he's a college guy, um, he didn't get didn't really focus on hitting full time until he turned pro. So he's a great guy to go to the Arizona Fall League, get some extra at bats, and to sort of showcase himself um, and to see what he can do. Um, and from all from what I've heard as well, he's a he's a very competitive player, um, and he's still learning how to how to harness his on-field energy at times, and he's maybe a little too aggressive for his own good. And so, I mean, I know you don't necessarily like making comps, but the sort of player you're describing who, yeah, maybe, you know, fringy uh, as, a, as an athlete, solid, um, but not excellent, uh, is that like, um, you know, is that like an Alan Craig? Or I mean, Alan Craig has actually turned into to a pretty excellent offensive player. I mean, what is his ceiling, I guess, is the point? Because you mentioned some people are pretty optimistic about his uh, his power and his overall hitting tool. I guess Craig's not too bad from the offensive standpoint. The thing with Craig is that he's got the value with the, the defensive aspect, and he can play a number of positions, whereas Brent's is probably going to be a, a corner outfielder, and that's kind of where he's going to stick. Um, he does have a strong arm, um, which helps him out. Um, but he, he, again, he was a pitcher and, uh, from all reports could hit the low to mid nineties, uh, with a fastball. Um, so, um, you know, I, I don't know if Craig's the best, but, but yeah, the, the type of offensive ceiling, it's one of those things where he has that potential, but he's got to kind of do a little bit more to, to get everything to click before I could see him reaching that type of ceiling. You know, I, I was looking over uh, Brent's, uh, his numbers, and especially his plate discipline numbers. You know, uh, with some exceptions, uh, he's generally struck out about three times as, as often as he's, as he's walked, right? And right. if that's something that a guy brings with him into the majors, um, he can he can exist doing that, but he's also going to be need to be at that sort of uh, level a player who probably hits a bunch of home runs, which as you've noted he there seems some, to be some possibility of him doing that, and or um, is going to be need need to uh, sustain um, a batted ball percentage you know um, batting average on balls in play that's in you know solidly in the three hundreds. I'm curious whether it's with Brent's or with another sort of player, if, if that's if that's something that you think about when you're assessing a, a player's future, and if you do think about it, um, what are, what are sort of the the calling cards you look for in terms of a guy who could, who may be able to or may not be able to sustain a high BABIP as a major leaguer? I guess for batting average on balls in play, one thing if you're looking for someone who can sustain a high rate. You're looking at somebody who can run pretty well. Um, someone like, you know, obviously Mike Trout, you wouldn't have any trouble seeing him having a, a balls and play average quite high because he's going to be able to beat out those um, extra infield infield singles. So, yeah, you, you definitely, if a guy's going to strike out a lot, you'd like him to be, you know, a, a Matt Kemp kind of guy um, who's got the power and the, and the wheels or, or a Chris Young guy who's got the, the power and the wheels, 
Um, Bryce Brents isn't someone, although he had a, a batting average of balls in play at 377 this year, um, I really don't think he can sustain that in the in the majors. Um, so the fact that he does have a, a strikeout rate over you know 20 25 percent at Double A, that's one of the things that really sort of tempers my enthusiasm for him. Um, although, you know, when I talk to, to certain people, they, they do remain pretty optimistic about him. And it's just a matter of him getting more at-bats because of the lost development time while, while pitching in college. And let's see. Oh, yeah, another player, uh, and this will be this will be the last guy we look, and this is, uh, I think, uh, in your wheelhouse, uh, not only as a prospect analyst, but as a Canadian, Mark Hewlett. <laughs> Uh, I actually don't know if he, if he himself is Canadian, but I know he plays in the Toronto organization. Toolsy outfielder with some swing and miss. Maybe I have said something that makes sense or maybe not. Jake Marisnik. Yeah, it, it, Jake Marisnik is uh, is a guy that uh, is rated, uh, considered by the organization and others outside the organization as the best, best athlete in the Jays system. Okay, and so... How does that uh, convert, or how how are you uh, thinking it'll convert to to his game, or how does it convert already? You know. Yeah, so he had a he had a really um, good uh, first full season in in the majors in 2011 in Low A, um, and uh, he was handled kind of aggressively in 2012. Um, he split the year between High A and Double A. And his high A numbers were were decent. They weren't outstanding, uh, but the Jays still bumped him up to Double A anyway uh, to get him that extra exposure. And uh, I, I did learn recently that uh, the organization was tweaking um, his his swing in 2012, and I believe they made I think at least two adjustments to his swing. So they've been kind of tinkering with that throughout the year, and it's one of the reasons why. Um, one of the reasons why he did struggle during the regular season is that, you know, he was learning basically to hit all over again with these these new adjustments that they've been making. So that's really why they decided he needs to go to the Arizona Fall League is to really get comfortable with the new swing that they've they've incorporated. And uh, I did have one person tell me that they expect him to absolutely explode uh, in Double A next year, and because of that athleticism and the adjustments they've helped him make. Now, if he explodes. Um, he's not going to be of much value to them. Uh, <laughs> is it? Is it? Uh, you know, I mean, do the teams have insurance policies on the players? <laughs> Absolutely, they do. They do. Okay, yeah. all right. Because because um, that would be horrible, and it would also. Right. I don't know how it works, but it might be dangerous for people around Jake Marisnik. It's true. People yeah. may want to hang back a little bit next year, just in case. Just in case, yeah, right. It's Especially, and I and I'll be honest, I'm concerned. Uh, uh, for my own sake, because, um, you know, I'm from New Hampshire, um, from Concord, New Hampshire, and he'll be playing in uh, Manchester, which isn't very far away. So depending on the size of the blast, Hewlett, um, could affect my family. It could, but it could also open up an opportunity at Fangraphs for, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> another full-time writer. So, you know, maybe we should buy you season tickets to the uh, the Fisher Cats. Yeah, right, the yeah. New Hampshire Fisher Cats. I will say, yeah. uh, with regard to the Fisher Cats, I one time heard, uh, um, was it Dave, o- Dave O'Brien and um, Joe Castiglione 
the the uh, radio broadcasters for the Red Sox. Um, apropos the Fisher Cat, they had maybe like a five to ten minute conversation just about Fisher Cats and how how mean they are. Um, and it was it was I, I tend to like that sort of thing, and uh, I uh, I guess they've really had had both of them quite a bit of experience with Fisher cats, and I'll be honest, I don't know that I've ever seen one, or uh, even looked up one on uh, Wikipedia. You have any? Yeah, I I have to be honest, I I don't even know what a Fisher cat is. Right, and and the thing is, uh, it uh, from their uh, description, it it sounds like a very real thing. But within the minor leagues, and you'll know this, is that there are a number of teams, both minor leagues and also the sort of uh, the independent leagues, um, there are a lot of teams with the word cats in the title of their of in the team name, like the Sacramento Rock. I believe this is the Rock Cats. Yeah, and then the it's Rock a, Cats. Rock or cats? Is it the River Cats? River Cats, right? No, it, maybe it was New Britain Rock Cats. Yes, I um, believe you're you're right. There. Yeah. New Britain, yeah. And so there are a number of teams with the word cats. There might be a couple with dogs. Uh, there might be bats. Bat, there's the Louisville bats. Um, yes, there is. There are some common uh, team names. And so you could say, well, Fisher Cat, that doesn't sound like anything I've ever heard of, but maybe you just think it's the word fish or fisher because it's along a river, uh, the mighty <laughs> the mighty Merrimack River. Yeah, and there's the mud cats. So, you know, they could be friends. Right now, is a mud cat something? Is that a, is that a, is that a catfish? Is that a sort of fish? Uh, again, I, I would have to plead ignorance on that. Well, I don't think anyone's ever going to stop me from uh, using Google uh, while while I record a podcast, and so that's what I'm doing right now. Um, a mud cat, a mud cat, it turns out, is a catfish native to uh, to, to Mississippi's uh, to the Mississippi Delta. Yeah. Especially apropos a yellow bullhead catfish. So there you go, Mark Hewlett. Well, and I will I will let you know, uh, Carson Sestouli, that uh, I've just googled a fisher cat. Okay. And well, you... it, it's uh, it's a member of the weasel family. Oh right. And uh, it, it's actually uh, known to uh, inhabit Canada and the northern fringes of the United States. So it's uh, perhaps an an appropriate uh, animal for us to be discussing. Yeah, and not only – well, of course, because, you know, uh, Manchester, New Hampshire, it's uh, um, home of the, the fisher cats, it's a, and it's an animal that you might find not very many places, but perhaps in Canada where the where the Blue Jays are based and, and uh, where their affiliate is based. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go out in, into my backyard when, when we're done this uh, podcast and uh, take my uh, camera and binoculars and uh, start hunting for these fisher cats. Yeah. No, I, I'm looking at it, right? A fishing cat or a fisher cat, maybe. Wait. Oh, wait. Is it a fishing cat or a fisher cat? Oh, no, you're right. The uh, weasel family. Yeah, there it is. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of these weasel sort of animals are quite uh, quite nasty. There's also the badger. I know that a badger... Um, is uh, very nasty and also a wolverine. I believe a wolverine is quite menacing. You have anything to say about that? Um, I luckily have never come up against the wolverine. Yeah. Uh, I am a, a fan of wolverine from the, the X-Men comic books. You are? Um, I am. Would you, Would you? I mean, if you were going to rank, if you were going to come up with a, like a, a, a pro, prospect-esque list for X-Men comics, I mean, where would wolverine fit in? 
Oh, I think you'd have to have him in the, in the top five for sure. I mean, how many tools? What do you like? What do you think about his tools? Uh, well, he's got really sharp claws. Um, so, uh, you know, he's probably at least a, a two or three tool player um, or, or superhero. Yeah. I'm not sure if he's a, a true five tool uh, superhero, but he's a, he's got at least uh, two or three tools working for him. Yeah. How about next time we do this? I, well, I'll invite you to. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to demand that you do, but I'll invite you to construct a, a sort of spectrum of tools for superheroes as well. Um, it's an interesting challenge. Yeah, I'll be honest. I I don't care at all uh, for superheroes of any sort, but that discussion of them I would care for. Uh, you, see, Carson, you're supposed to be one of the preeminent nerds uh, in our society, and, yeah. and you're telling me you you don't have any interest in uh, in comic books. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I think I my I think maybe um, I skew nerdly in my literary tastes, but not not as much. Uh, um, in this direction, it'd be more like obscure, you know, poems from the from the, you know, Rome. Fair enough. Yeah. So there you go. Hey Hewlett, um, this conversation is scintillating, but I'm going to suggest that we we finish it off air. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> that has been uh, we'll call that an AFL preview. You feel comfortable saying that? Sure. All right. Uh, that has been an AFL preview with. Uh, with Prospect Analyst, Fangraphs Prospect Analyst and native Canadian Mark Hewlett. Mark, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. All right. It's Mark Hewlett. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.